Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. I have an important question. How are you making room for laughter in your creative process? Yes, work is serious, but it's also fun, silly, and straight up goofy nonsense, at least according to today's guest. Sean Schumacher is an assistant professor of design at Portland State University, a podcaster, and an all-around nice person who's building community and making design more accessible. In this conversation, we talk about their love for comedy, the journey from artist to designer to design educator, why we shouldn't fear mistakes, and how to know a project is done and ready to ship. On top of all that, we make room for deep thoughts and belly laughs. Whether you're a design student, creative professional, hardened cynic, or design communicator, Sean's approach to life and work will hopefully help you open up to delight and wonder. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 696. Recording in progress. We should be able to change that and be like, hey, recording in progress. Well, I, it would just be great to get a recording of that that's not like 12 kilohertz. That's not just like recorded on a <laughs> like a Diamond Rio MP3 player. <laughs> I always wonder why when you record in Zoom, it's always like 32 kilohertz. Yeah, it's I mean, they they don't have the technology to make the sample rate higher. That would be an why incredible not? lift to improve audio or video quality in any way. Oh, yeah. They've got to they've got to work so hard to create great new things like the new splash screen that gives you no information. <laughs> Don't forget to add your calendar. Don't forget to add your calendar. Those little tiny buttons that let you see your audio and video but not change them, which is just a baffling choice. <laughs> what? For all the people that subscribed during the pandemic, what did they do with all that cash? I mean, oh. Well, they they found a toilet and what they did was they put the cash in the toilet and then they pressed the special button on the toilet because they like to press buttons and all the cash went away. And I think then they got very sad. Um, that actually seems to be pretty much what they did. <laughs> yes. I'm I mean, just waiting for them to add AI to their name. And oh, God. Then they can be like everything else that I've seen coming through my email lately. Just cursed. Just uh, so many cursed products. <laughs> That are just going to be disastrous. Oh, well, speaking so... of disastrous, welcome to getting work to work. <laughs> and that's how you lose your guest. <laughs> I've infected your show with the bad way that my show works. So, no, I'm glad I didn't take a drink because I would have done a spit take all over the monitor. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. All right. There Take we go. Three. Take well, three. Sean, welcome to Getting Work to Work. It's already going to be fun and a blast. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. It's it's such a delight. It is a delight. And and you strike me as someone who says that authentically, not just someone who's saying it for the sake of a podcast. So I do appreciate that. Well, it's it's absolutely true. And I you were you were also kind enough to come and and speak to my class. I was teaching a class ostensibly about podcasting, but mostly about kind of talking about design in public. And, you know, you, you are, you are one of the, uh, the tent poles of the Portland design podcast scene. And 
I, I, I like the reaction from the students, like coming to have you in the class and getting to ask questions, I think was so positive and so, so uplifting. Like, that's cool. Uh, I really appreciated that so much. And Absolutely. it's such an honor really to be on this show because um, so many great folks that I know have been on it too. Well, I do appreciate that. Well, got to ask, always got to ask the first question. What are you endlessly curious about? Well, this is, so we met, I should say, at at PodConf, the podcasting conference, mm -hmm. uh, the first annual held here in Portland like a month ago as we record, something like that. Maybe March month and a half. I don't even remember. It's time true. is a flat circle. We yeah. there's no way to discern how long ago anything was. Um, but yeah, we I I walked into a uh, a breakout room that you were leading, and you went around the room and you were asking people that question. And definitely on it, like as you were going around asking it, I was just like, oh God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Uh, you know, fully deer in the headlights. But I, I think the thing that I ended up saying there was laughter. And I think it's still true. Um, like ultimately we have so many, we have so many reactions that are mediated by, you know, kind of our, our, our social experience mm -hmm. and laughter is so involuntary and so, so strange. And so like, why does, why does one joke work and another joke not work? Why does when you are having a bad day or a bad moment, someone making you laugh completely change that experience? Um, it is so weird and it doesn't really behave like any other like thing like that, that, that humans do. Um, and I, you know, I try to, I try to integrate like moments for laughter into just about everything I do from my teaching to my show, um, to, you know, my, my everyday life and my friendships and like, I, it, it is so joyful, but also just so, so, so strange, um, in so many ways. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think probably laughter is the thing that I'm most curious about still. Did you have to learn to be curious about laughter or does laughter just, is that just a natural part of your life? Well, it's always kind of been a part of it. I mean, I was a kid, oh boy, this is, this is really going to date me for sure. But like, I grew up, um, watching comedy shows with my dad. Like, uh, we would watch, um, the old, uh, NBC David Letterman show, um, every night to the point that I, as a like four-year-old would, you know, <laughs> get some blue cards and, you know, set up a pretend desk and pretend I'm David Letterman and, you know, throw the, throw the card and the glass shatters behind me, all that, all, all the bits. Um, so it's, it's kind of always been like a part of me, um, and a part of like my relationships. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I definitely have had different experiences with it and, and pushed it further away and, and brought it closer. Um, it's being in the job that I'm in now. I'm a assistant professor of design here at uh, Portland State. Um, I think the the natural inclination would be to get very serious, right? To get very, you know, professorial. Be the the person with the uh, the tweed jacket and the elbow pads. <laughs> um, which is ostensibly kind of like a character that I did as a grad student. Um, but like that also just feels so, 
so wrong for who I am and how to actually connect with the students that I work with. And it, it also just feels wrong for this field. I mean, like design is inherently kind of non-academic. It is a creative practice that really exists primarily in industry. And, you know, what academia is for is just for, for, you know, kind of, um, play within a safety net. And that I think is something that, um, something that I try to bring in is like, I, I shouldn't try to stifle that urge to like bring joy and, and laughter into spaces that ordinarily wouldn't have it. Um, I, I think I've gotten far afield of the question. <laughs> no, because you're speaking okay. to the idea of when you're a professional, you know, laughter is the last thing that we think of. Yeah. That, I, I hear this journey from the grad student who's wearing the tweed jacket to becoming fully integrated with who you are and what you do. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it really is. I mean, I think another part of it too, is like having the permission being given by, you know, my colleagues, I, I was really lucky as a grad student, um, when I, uh, when I started here at Portland State, um, to uh, get paired with Kate Bing and Bert as my uh, graduate advisor. And that was, I as far as I know, that was just like kismet. It was not <laughs> intended at all or planned. Um, but I, when I came here, I had a very different perception of what design could be. Like I, I left my hometown really thinking like, I don't want to be a designer. Um, when I moved to Portland, I want to be an artist. And because I, you know, I was in grad school for studio art oh, wow. and in a way like that relationship with Kate, really opened up my eyes to what design could be and what design education could be like sh her. If, if you don't know her, uh, audience, she is, uh, just delightful and colorful and full of, full of laughter and really runs classrooms in, in a way that is, uh, joyful and team oriented and like community led. We, we always like to say around here, like, you know, this is a program about community, not competition. Yeah. Um, and like Pips Donuts. Yeah, exactly like Pips Donuts. Today's episode is sponsored by Pips Donuts. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good one to get if you can. <laughs> um, but yeah, like who who is Pips competing with where they need that slogan? Anyway, uh, yeah, it's but like you know that is i think a different mindset than a lot of design programs have and i i think that in a lot of ways really helped me reset my expectations about like you know this is not a place that or this is not a practice that has to be as self-serious mm -hmm. as um as maybe i thought going into it and you can bring yourself and that actually makes it better for everybody um was yeah. that a, a light switch moment or what did you wrestle with that switch going from artist to designer? Oh, I wrestled with it for a long, long time. I mean, cause I, you know, I, it was two years of grad school and then a couple of years past that where I was sort of in a, a hybrid space of, you know, maybe I do this and that, and maybe, you know, maybe the two things kind of feed each other, even though they, 
don't really feed each other. Um, you know, I, and I, I think in a way to, um, th there was a period where I stepped away from working at PSU from, from teaching, uh, to take a job at, uh, the Portland Institute for Contemporary Art, PICA, uh, as their one and only graphic designer, you know, that is a, that is a big job. Um, you, in a job like that, you can't really split your time. Um, you know, I, uh, in some of the most intense months of the year, like during like August, I would have three publications going to press simultaneously that didn't really look anything alike and all had really complicated content in them. And that's on top of, you know, 200 other assets that I would be building. And in some cases, some cases like actually cutting out <laughs> and printing, um, you know, uh, nonprofit life, uh, hashtag nonprofit life. <laughs> um, but like in a way that was kind of the thing that, that made me realize like, actually, you know, this is a little better if I, if I devote my full self to, um, design rather than art. And, um, that kind of slowly brought me over and, and made me look at design more closely and in a different way than maybe I had been before. And that, really put me on the track to where I am now. What's so interesting in that story too, is not only do you go from artist to designer, but then to go into being a design educator, that's a whole nother paradigm shift because everything that you think, you know, is in essence thrown out of the window because yeah. teaching, even if you know something inherently well, teaching illuminates what you don't know and what you're willing to do with what you don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I, um, the first class I got put into was a, uh, introductory page layout class and I, you know, I'd laid out books before. Um, but it really, uh, that, that really kicked my butt. Cause when you have to, when you have to talk about like, well, this is why this is this way. And, you know, you have to have uh, odd numbered pages on this side and not this side, even though you might want it to be a different way. Um, like just explaining like little things like that. You you have to have so many, so many new systems built in your brain to accommodate that. Um, and, you know, it sometimes tears away old systems. I cannot remember any key combos now for the life <laughs> of me. That has just been drilled out of my mind completely because you, you're always showing with menus mm -hmm. ultimately. Um, but you know, you, you really are having to think about things in so much deeper of a way in order to like, try to figure out, well, what is the way that's going to connect with the, the most people? And are there like multiple ways of disseminating an idea so that you can capture more folks because everybody has different learning styles and different approaches and different things that'll be memorable. So yeah, that's. It, it really does. It messes with your brain in a deep, deep way. It really does. I remember a moment where I had a transformative moment in the classroom where I was teaching a web design class. Oh. And I had someone shadowing me who worked at the, the local professional studio. And I had a chip on my shoulder because I'm like, I, I, I don't work at said professional studio in air quotes. <laughs> And so I thought, you know, I, I really thought less of myself. Yeah. I, and I remember just having this moment where I was just trying to be everything to like to know all the answers. 
And it just got in my head to the point where I had to pull the person shadowing me aside and admit what was going on in my head. And they were equally nervous for a whole other reason. And so it's like, once we got out of that headspace, we were able to breathe and just in, like relax into the moment. And I think to me, learning how to relax in front of the students is one of the most challenging yet critical part of teaching. It, it really is. I, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, and also like it's the a big part of that is the imposter syndrome thing, which I think is is no small part of why did I do that exists. <laughs> it is like it is really trying to subvert this idea that, you know, you as a teacher have to be this perfect entity that knows all that mm -hmm. sees all that is is all right. um, you know, that is not good <laughs> it's not good for you it's not good for the students and it's not good for your colleagues also um you know in a way not knowing is the more the more reasonable way to to be and if you can you know articulate that then you know i i think folks can folks around you be they students or or colleagues or you know anything like can feel more comfortable like with their not knowing and not feel this this sense of panic and dread and perpetuate that cycle of being hypercritical or being you know uh just kind of you know the the sort of plain academic you know uh prescribed way of being i suppose yeah. um that doesn't make sense with the modern world and like it it is much much better to be who you are and to accept what you don't know and you know be be okay with that um you know we all make mistakes we all we all drop the ball sometimes and we all don't know a lot of things there are a lot of things i don't know and we'll never know right. um you know and that's that's okay that's okay it's such a weird thing as you're talking, Sean, I, I'm thinking a lot about where people learn how to speak. Yeah. Because whether it's on a microphone or in front of a class, anyone that has spent time develops a natural cadence. Is that a byproduct of your obsession with comedy and comedy <laughs> podcasts and shows and timing? Uh, I don't know. Because, I mean, you know, my parents, too, are... In, in a way, I'm such a weird mix of what they do. My mom um, spent 30 years teaching um, second and third grade. Um, and my dad uh, has been a voiceover artist for a long time, but oh, wow. started out as a morning DJ. Um, one of the kind of early morning DJs in, in the 80s, oh, wow. uh, you know, doing voices and stuff, those kind of bits. Um, but like, in in a strange way, this what I have ended up doing is like this this blend of both things, like trying to trying to bring some of the things that I think have gotten into um or that i've I've observed from my mom about like what works in education that I got reminded of by Kate again, um because I think she has a very similar approach of building community and bringing life and color to things. Um, and my dad, you know, having this very, uh, how to, how to describe it? I mean, this, this way of 
being able to completely transform chameleon like into into whatever is needed for the joke um to you know put on the announcer voice all of a sudden and you know uh do that um like so i think i i probably have a little bit of both styles of of speaking in me that you know the play to the back of the room uh <laughs> you know k through 12 thing and then the uh <laughs> uh you know just the 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 goofy uh the goofy nonsense of of my dad um radio wise i guess well speaking of goofy nonsense i love your podcast that you have about making graphic design and mistakes oh thank you and and that's something i say that with pride and with like that's awesome sean when, when i say goofy you know yeah oh it's i this is that's the tagline it's not uh yeah it's it's fully fully goof friendly <laughs> good well oftentimes i mean we've been talking about you know letting that seriousness go but you know talking about mistakes isn't sometimes friendly to the modern audience so what is it about mistakes that you're just so attracted with and do you have a mistake yourself that either haunts or delights <laughs> you when you think about it oh boy uh I'm i'll so share mad. too i'll share too it's okay okay uh yeah to make make it make it a safe space um exactly. yeah i mean i i think a big part of it is stuff that has come from teaching like i really don't see this practice as being terribly different from design education it is a you know it's a a different way of doing design education like really looking at it the way a you know a science communicator or a public history person would um that you know you have to you have to connect with audiences outside of your community um and this is a tool to do that but i yeah i mean i think i think part of the reason for mistakes is is again the perfectionism thing like trying to trying to get at that a little bit um, in how, uh, at least how I've observed students sometimes treating it. Like I, I, uh, I mentioned that page layout class earlier and that's a really hard class. There's no two ways about it. Um, there's a lot of things that goes into making any sort of publication. You know, you're learning type, you're learning layout, you're working with images. You're trying to think of like, well, how, what is the flow of all this stuff and how does the eye approach it? And then you kind of make it and that's a whole other, you know, uh, ball of wax. So like trying to think of in my students, what tends to hold them back more than anything else, what tends to like, um, make them stumble is the fear of making mistakes, the fear of like, um, you know, that, that old, old, you know, middle or high school thing of like, I got to get the grade and the grade is all that matters. And, um, I'll just play it the safest way that I possibly can, which does not work in creative work at all. You mm -hmm. just can't do that. You absolutely can't. Um, so, you know, I, I think one of the th things that I observed, um, you know, when I came back to teaching a lot of the folks who were starting out, you know, what they did know about designers was their work. They really didn't know much about the people at all. And the work that they were seeing was all finished and polished and looked really good. <laughs> and why shouldn't it? Right. Um, you know, that's that's sort of the way that this field has always done things is like, 
you know, what gets published is the, the best stuff. But nobody was having the conversation about like, hey, what does this actually do psychologically to folks who are coming up? What, what, yeah. what does this, what is the effect on somebody who only sees this kind of thing and, you know, tries to make something and they're like, oh, God, what, what is this? What have I done? Um, you know, the, uh, to, to go back to that Ira Glass quote, which I think is pretty, pretty famous about like, when you're starting out, your taste and your ability to accomplish things are in such conflict because you probably know right away that you're not performing at the level that you want to be. And that's where people stumble. That's where people get into situations where they start making things that are too safe or they just leave the field entirely. Um, and I, I think too, that can also manifest as this, this terrible notion. Um, once folks get past that a little bit of like, then you are having to position yourself kind of in that, that very cold, you know, I'm an expert designer sense. Um, you know, the, the Steve jobs effect, <laughs> uh, I, I always like to, to think of it as, cause it, it, you know, it is that thing of like, it's posturing it's, it's stuff like that. So that is, I think so unhealthy if folks get to that stage, cause that, that just, that runs counter to all of design's goals. Uh, it is making design this gate kept profession, um, a designer is this perfect being who you cannot question. Your client is an enemy. Um, <laughs> and when, you know, when people outside the field hear that, what, what are they going to think? Right. Um, why wouldn't they want to replace us with AI? Mm -hmm. I, that is a conversation that I think about a lot lately, especially is like, you know, if we, if we make ourselves more cut off from the reality of what it is that we're doing of, of the people that we're trying to serve, we are in trouble <laughs> we're in big trouble right so in, in a way the goal of the show in showing mistakes is to try to expose folks early on to the idea that every successful person that they have ever seen that they've loved is full of mistakes you know people who are creative directors make huge mistakes they did early on in the careers they did yesterday um it's <laughs> it's something making that, mistakes right now I, absolutely i mean you know i'm i'm constantly making mistakes um and like getting that knowledge out there sooner hopefully can catch people before they get to that steve jobs level and you know start to start to potentially do damage to the profession um by making it feel cut off from reality um, and, and also hopefully by, by reaching out, you know, to folks who are new to this field, to folks who are, um, outside of the field entirely, they can also get some better perspective about like, well, this is, this is actually how design functions. This is what actually goes on in designers' minds. So it's it normal for part of the process to be making mistakes. It's not just special, magical, polished work that, that yeah. comes right out. Um, so that that is sort of the core reason for why uh, why it's about making mistakes. Also, they're just funny. <laughs> mistakes <laughs> are funny. Well, I, I think of the word that you said earlier in our conversation, delight. I mean, there's a, yeah. a sense of delight in what you can discover when you're open to mistakes. And I think if you're so closed off to mistakes, 
people are naturally going to look for delight in other areas. So I think there is a sense of what's going to come up with AI. There's yeah. an initial sense of delight that perhaps we've closed ourselves off to other people, that excitement that can come from exploration and not being afraid of, you know, mistakes. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it feels like a, a, a access issue, uh, fundamentally. And, you know, it's, if you, if you feel like you have to go through this, this, this gatekeeper, this essentially middleman to creative work and the middleman seems like a jerk, that's going to be a big impediment to you actually using it. And I, you know, I, I think I see that a lot actually in at least what I've done in professional practice, like a lot of artists have huge, huge, um, I don't want to say chips on their shoulder, but uh, disdain for designers um, because they do view them that way. And uh, so they will try to do as much as they can themselves. And they'll, they'll often have enough sense of the tools to be able to get something like that done. Um, so it, it really is, I think it's a conversation that is going to get more and more pronounced in the next couple of years. And I think that's why this work is in part so imperative right now. Um, like trying to, trying to open up this dialogue around, well, what actually is, mm -hmm. what is this profession? How do you, how do you articulate it to audiences who aren't in it and get them interested in it? Because I... <laughs> you can't just expect that they're going to want to, to get involved if it doesn't feel like something that they would want to mm -hmm. uh, like invest time and energy into. I think about any creative industry has that relationship with mistakes and podcasting is a huge area where I know for myself, when I started, I wanted it to be perfect. I mean, yeah. I still struggle with it to this day of, of like, am I, am I good enough? And, and I, I think, being willing to allow your humanity to come into a show uh, is one of the stepping stones of getting past yourself. Yeah, I think that is that is absolutely true. And I, I with regards to the perfectionism thing around the show, like I think that is an issue that I still have too. I mean, I um there was a period where each episode was about 12 hours of at a time, um, you know, which is not great. Uh, I think the audio producers out there will probably not enjoy hearing that number. Um, I, you know, I know, I know billing by hour, then of course they're happy with that. Oh, they're very, then it's very normal and good. Um, you know, 12 to one, uh, ratio, but, uh, yeah, it, I think I have gotten a little less obsessive around um, around how I cut things. Um, I still always go into an edit with the idea that I am trying to make the guest sound smarter and me sound dumber as <laughs> as sort of the way of of like making it um, just opening up so it doesn't feel like you know this is a gotcha show or something yeah. like that um I, I don't want anybody to to walk away from it and feel that way um plus you know like i i think it has helped my own self-image around some of the the perfectionism questions that we're talking about to hear hear myself make mistakes over and over again and things that i would have cut early on 
um, that probably would have made the edit a little choppier than I wish. Now I leave in and, you know, that is, that's sort of a growth thing that you could say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so really in, in a way, I, my mental health has gotten much healthier from, <laughs> from doing this show. Um, ignore all other evidence to the contrary. <laughs> So when you set out to do, did I do that? Was it, did you make a list of all of the people that you wanted to talk to? Or was it more of, you know, do you have, I mean, since you work at PSU, you do have access that maybe other people wouldn't have. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, I PSU is, and, and we always tell this to students, like, you know, when you are in a university, um, it, you have this weird sort of permission to uh, to reach out to folks. And, you know, it, in a way, the university kind of becomes this thing that like helps help support you, um, even though I, I really try to use that as little as possible. Um, ultimately, uh, like uh, that, because that can also be a tricky thing to to work with. Um, I, I think early on before the show launched um i'd had a lot of ideas in this space um the what i've come to kind of call design communication um after you know sort of calling upon science communication as a reference nice. uh, point but like uh I, a bunch of the early ideas were not guest driven they were co-host driven and there would be like i went through a couple different and by a couple, I mean like a couple dozen different iterations of this idea before I actually got down and, and did a pilot and started on production proper. Um, and ultimately that worked out to be like three or four years worth of sort of back material. Because I was also afraid, really, if yeah. I can be honest, to, to embark on this. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing. I mean, to be a this field is primarily visual even though designers are huge consumers of podcasts mm -hmm. um that's what they're all listening to in their noise canceling headphones all day long uh <laughs> for the most part um but like it 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 is still a risk and um you know trying to trying to find the balance of that and try to think about like well how am i how am i integrating this with the other things that i do like um you know, the, with academic research, there's always the question of rigor. How is this rigorous? Well, in part, it's rigorous because I am approaching it with discipline and really focusing on a single subject and getting people on the show that are, you know, really demonstrated successes in, in their areas of the field. And that is, um, that's one of the ways that I've kind of helped to to figure that out but it's it yeah it's it's all <sighs> I, yeah i mean i don't know it's tricky it's all tricky i love the conversation around rigor because it speaks to something that you can develop mastery in and yet never arrive at the okay coasting i can coast now yeah, yeah. And that that I think is something that I try to to 
internalize a little bit is like it really should be this thing that is always trying to push into a new place and do something new and engage with a new audience and um, bring in new stories. Like I think a lot about yes. when I am booking guests, what kind of stories are coming in, how I am balancing those stories out so that you're not getting um, you're not getting the same kind of story you know, uh, from one week to the next, it's, it's something that can vary a little bit. And I, I also think about that in relation to one of my other projects here at PSU, I program the uh, show and tell lecture series, um, where we, uh, bring in designers from, uh, you know, across Portland and beyond. And, uh, that serves as a 100 level class too. So students from the very beginning can see, real designers and talk to real designers but also from that based on how i program it they can really see a variety of backgrounds and perspectives and uh like ways to practice design mm -hmm. um that they may not have even known about um awesome it, it, yeah uh so like trying to think of that as a part of you know all of these projects is is challenging and tricky and um i think that's another place that that sort of rigor part comes into it my mind is kind of not kind of my mind is blown by that idea of diversity being represented in the story yeah i think that that is an area where i don't know there's like two narratives right now in this world it feels like and yet there's an infinite number of stories out there because of just how many people there are in the world and I love that notion of being able to share different stories week after week. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer that like, you know, creative practice is ultimately intersectional. Like we are never just designers. We're never just artists. We're all kinds of other things too. And all those things feed into each other. If you are just doing design as you know, I, I have at some points in my life, you get much worse at design. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you got to have other stuff or else, uh, you know, the thing that you're trying to do will, will worsen, but also like all life is intersectional. Um, and you know, everybody has a really unique set of stories and perspectives. And the more of those that you can get in the mix, like the, the more, the more representative, the thing that you're trying to make will be of the way life actually is. So one of the things that I really love about your podcast too is the website. Oh, thank you. Podcast websites are, you know, they're tricky. It's a tricky bunch because it really is. <laughs> you know, you're you're interacting with an app, but really you want to have a space that's beyond the app. And the type, the language, everything just feels right. Well, thank you. It was a hard road getting from there to here. Um that yeah this i built essentially two websites for the show uh over the course of season two um i built one that i launched the season with and then very quickly realized that it was a horrible mistake and <laughs> <laughs> learned learned it was one of those you know and i think some of the designers out there will will be able to identify this sometimes you get a new tool and you're like wow look at what this tool can do why don't i try to learn while i use this tool mm -hmm. and then you get to the end of the process and you're like oh no i've done horrible things and it's really inflexible how i've built 
so many of these things. Um, and that was, that was a bit of a, a, a lesson for me. Um, and so, uh, kind of, kind of over, I want to say it was like November and December, I rebuilt it from scratch and, uh, that coincided with the, uh, the new artwork launch. And, um, that was kind of the first time that I really thought about the design of the show being integral into how the show positions itself. Um, you know, bringing in the color palette that I have now and, and the type choices. Um, I think a big part of how that site works too is to uh, like kind of my goal of like exposing some of these processes a little bit. Um, one thing that I've been working on for a while is going through and tagging episodes so that you'll be able to search by topic or by, Mm -hmm. you know, role and hear stories from like, what does a creative director think? Or what are some stories about, you know, making mistakes uh, as a design student um, and and kind of explore the show that way. Um, that's been long in the works and I'm hoping to get that rolled out in July. Um, oh, cool. But it really, I think that's the power of like having your own site is that you can build in those features mm-hmm. that are going to to really help like your audience find find the content um, and explore it the way that you, you think they would probably want to. Right. Um, so I, yeah, that, and to do that, I, I really needed to rebuild from scratch. So I've learned a lot through that process <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been building websites now for n- nearly 15 years and um, there's always new things to learn, <laughs> always new mistakes to make. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one feels, this one feels like it's, it's something, um, and I would encourage everybody to go check it out if you like it. (laughs) Um, you know, if you want to just look at a fun website, it's the most, I'll tell you what, I bet it's the most textured podcast website out there. I challenge anyone to find a more textured podcast website. There's a lot of, a lot of film grain on that bad boy. (laughs) Now, is it authentic film grain or is it noise filter in Photoshop? Um, well, you know, I think what that is, actually, I think that is a photograph that I took of some. Uh, I, I have a lot of photographs of sidewalks. Um, I don't know why I collect textures uh, like years and years ago. I, I took photographs of like sidewalk stamps and that eventually just became taking photographs of all kinds of textures. Yeah. So I, I have this huge texture library now. Yeah. And I believe, I believe what that grain is, is a, uh, a sidewalk that I captured uh, at some point walking around Portland. Um, but couldn't tell you when or where or how. <laughs> Why? Couldn't tell you that either. Why not? I guess. Why not? That's Why a not? great perspective. Absolutely. I I love textures myself. I'm very much a tactile person, so I need to like feel things. And uh so I'm the weird guy that lights gets on the ground and starts wanting to touch the concrete. And oh then- I mean it's it's very surprising always how cold concrete actually is. Yeah. Unless you're in Las Vegas during the summer, <laughs> then don't touch it, whatever yeah. you do. Can fry an egg. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> can you ever? Oof. So when you're designing something and you're iterating through this process, you're recognizing mistakes and rebuilding. 
How do you know when something is done and ready to ship? Um, that, that's something I really struggle with. That that's tough. I'll tell you. Um, sometimes, and I think I think this was maybe something that working at Pika helped me a lot with is sometimes you just have to ship a thing and it's maybe not where you want it to be, but it has to go out. Having that that time pressure on me can sometimes be be helpful in just just in terms of like getting through the hemming and hawing and making a decision. I do struggle a lot with like where the stopping point is for a project, even still, because, you know, I, I, when I was younger, um, and even still in, in early episodes of the show, I would just sink time into things until I felt like they were perfect. And oftentimes that would make them much worse than they should have been. Uh, cause I would start overthinking things. I can't relate to that at all. No, it's a completely abnormal, uh, just a problem that I have. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it's like learning to let go of, of certain things and certain pressures that are uh, self-imposed. I think for the most part, I try to take a step back and do, um, do like an hour less on a thing than I ordinarily would like a couple years ago. And that is maybe not ideal. Um, it, it's maybe not shipping the thing that is is you know close to perfection, but the imperfections will always be there. There will always be um, anyone who's ever designed a book knows the curse of you never ever <laughs> ever when you get the book look at it very closely. You mustn't do this because when you hold it in your hands after it's gotten off the press and uh, you know you have fifty thousand copies sitting behind you. The first page you open it up to will have a typo on it. And you will have looked at that page dozens of times. Many people will have reviewed that page, but there's this typo and it is the first thing that your eye sees. Um, that is a curse. Um, so like, you know, finding ways of, of like giving yourself the, the grace to step back and say, that's always going to be a problem. You're never going to get around that. Um, and trying to get it all perfect the first go is just, it, it'll never, it'll never be there. Um, so yeah, trying, trying to find the things that I can do to just let go of that last hour where I would be overworking myself and making the product probably worse and not catching the things. Um, that's maybe how I'm trying to get around that a little bit. That's really interesting. It's almost like baby steps, but in reverse yeah that's a good way of putting it it's 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 yeah it really is like trying to um yeah trying to take that step back and not not investigate it too closely at the end because then then you'll just find yourself starting over starting from scratch and you've iterated a lot to get to that point ideally so you know you, you don't want to do that as a design educator, what is one thing you would change if you had a magic wand? I mean, there's many things. I mean, you know, you you wish you wish for sure that this was a field that was more accessible, that, you know, the students who were taking these classes didn't have to face pretty um, 
pretty uh, awe-inspiring, you know, bills um, from the university uh, at the end of it, um, because more of their education should be subsidized by the state, um, as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, you would hope that they weren't having to juggle, you know, multiple jobs um, to make ends meet while they're while they're trying to do their schoolwork. I think I would also wish that if I could, I could, I could give them the grace to do what I've been trying to do, uh, which is let certain things go. Like there are definitely a lot of folks that need to early on learn to iterate more, but then you also see the folks that are just paralyzed in that loop that I get in so much of the time where they've iterated too much and they've spent too much time on the details and they're just, you know, driving themselves to madness. Um, that's, that's also just unhealthy. So like giving them the grace to be like, Hey, you know, it's, it's great. And you need to learn how to, to let that go and actually have it, have that be something that they're okay with instead of feeling like they failed because yeah. they can't do any more. Um, I think that's what I would wish for. Because, uh, you know, seeing those students, it, 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 you just, you, it's hard not to feel like you're holding up a mirror sometimes to yourself and the ways that you've been cruel to yourself in the past. And, you know, see, seeing that in, in these folks so early on in their careers is just hard. Um, it really is. I never really thought of it that way as as teaching as a form of therapy from <laughs> your past because it's like <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, you see all of your all of your own <laughs> neuroticisms and <laughs> it's well, yeah, it's 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 being being in therapy and being a therapist all at once. Yeah. It, it really uh you know, cuz it I I think you you uh in this field like you set up a a place of trust in your classroom and people come to you with with their their issues and you know they're in some cases things that they are afraid to talk about with anybody else and you like you have to bring your whole heart to that conversation and that means bringing in some of your own experiences and seeing yourself reflected back but it also sometimes means you know, having to put yourself in their shoes and try to understand the kind of experience that they're having. And that is hard. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's really tough. Um, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces to being a teacher. It's not just you go in a classroom and then you get three months off and you're like, right. you know, having a, having a weird vacation in, you know, Aruba or something. <laughs> um, for one, we can't afford to go to Aruba. So, yeah. Um, but it, it, yeah, it really is like, you know, your your whole head is in it um, all the time. And it's it's not just talking about design. It's talking about the humans that are in your classroom and need support in complex and interesting and sometimes unexpected ways. Well, Sean, as we wrap up our time together, what wisdom would you like to leave with the audience? Ooh, what wisdom. Um, 
I would say, you know, if there is one takeaway that I would wish folks listening to this could have, it's to to hopefully be kinder to yourself. And I think that is something that I try to get across in the show, you know, um, like I, I talk about sometimes like, did I do that is about like learning to learning to laugh at your mistakes as a way of defusing them so that they are not, you know, a thing that is just a, a anxiety. Um, like you are, you are taking away their power by laughing about them. And I hope the folks who are listening to this can do that a little bit for themselves and, you know, not, not feel so much pressure. Cause I know there's a lot of creative people that are listening to this and probably struggling through a project because we all are every single person listening to this is having some sort of existential crisis about a creative project that they're working on. Give yourself some grace around it. You know, if you're having, if you're having some problems, laugh about them, take away their power. And, you know, hopefully you will get to a better place, um, you know, mentally, mentally in approaching them than you were at initially. Well, speaking of laughter, what book, podcast, or resource is making you laugh right now? Oh, I mean, there's a lot. I gotta stop doing the what? What is that noise that I'm doing over and over again? It's the terrible audio. Yeah, the raspberries. I've never do that, and I've done it like four times on your show. I'm so sorry. I didn't even notice it. It's okay. It's cursed. I've well, just been like so focused on on just listening, and I. <laughs> You're 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 being a you're being a very good gracious host. Um, I maybe that apology is more to future editor Chris, uh, who who will have to deal with. Why is he doing raspberries all the time? I didn't realize that in the moment, but God, there's no way to take that out. Um, and now that I've referenced it, now it's even worse. Now I have to leave it in. Now right? you have to leave it in. Thanks, Sean. Cursing the audience. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, you know it's. In terms of what is what is bringing me joy right now, um, I uh, I've been listening to a lot of a very silly podcast called Three Bean Salad, um, which is made by a couple of comedians over in the UK. It is a show that is one hundred percent nonsense. Um, highly recommend if you just need some laughter that is completely devoid of any sense of reality or seriousness or anything like that and that's kind of what I have been in need of lately. Um, and there are, I, we haven't talked about this, but one of the core tenets of my teaching practice is singing terrible songs. <laughs> and um, they, yeah, they have a huge library of musical drops that are uh, fairly good, but also kind of just goofy. Um, that brings me a lot of joy. Um as we get into summer too, I'm kind of looking forward to being able to dip into some of the design books that I've collected that I just haven't had time to read. Um, Cause you know, teaching three classes, uh, a lot of work takes it out of you for yeah. sure. Um, but uh, Mitch Goldstein, who is a design educator um, out on the East coast and uh, has, has written a really tremendous resource that I always share with students around critique uh, called how to crit uh, he wrote a book called how to be a design student that um i picked up a couple months back and has been sitting in my backpack and i'm really looking forward to actually 
reading it because I love his writing style and this it all it feels like exactly the kind of book that um I want to be reading right now of like what does it actually mean to be at the beginning and and question um question your instructors on like what design actually is I I want to get more into that mindset and Mitch has the perfect voice I think for that so yeah uh, I would encourage you to pick it up even though I've not yet read it <laughs> I trust I trust trust Miss Mitch Goldstein to to write a really good book well said well Sean thank you so much for being a guest on getting work to work I also thank you for coming up to me at podconf and saying hey we've had some similar guests on your show or on our shows and and I just appreciate the way that you have built community because to me that's what you're doing here uh, well thank you well i and i also i want to shout out one of my past guests and also longtime friends um jason sturgill who i think um i have always been a uh i've always been a somewhat reserved person you know I, I, believe it or not i'm not necessarily an extrovert uh by nature but i think his practice was always that he he tried to tell me early on when I met him is like if you there's someone whose work you like you should go tell them yeah and you know just because like creative people never get to hear the good things <laughs> we <laughs> often only get to hear the bad things um and that little good thing can kind of like help and you do such a good show Chris and I like I wanted to let you know that like you know we are we are in this little community and like i appreciate the work that you're doing and you know kind of kind of helping to blaze a trail for you know putting the portland design scene out into the uh into the cybersphere <laughs> what i've decided we're calling it now i like it cybersphere yeah. the cybersphere no flat cyber for you now no this one's three dimensional <laughs> you need those apple goggles to use it it's annoying the battery is not long lived Ooh, what a fun and insightful conversation with sean i certainly enjoyed it and i hope you did too and took a lot of notes two questions really stood out for me how will you be a little less serious and make more room for laughter and how can you integrate mistakes into your creative process I encourage you to get out your journal and spend some time responding to them, seeing what you actually think about it, the fears that you might have, and how you can overcome them. Finally, I love the exercise Sean shared to overcome perfectionism and overthinking by doing an hour less on something. What are you working on right now that you need to let go of and ship? What are you waiting for? Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.